All right, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to the Beauty and the Beast Physical Therapy and Strength Conditioning Podcast. I am joined by my co-host, Dr. Ross Childs. How goes it, everyone? Hope everyone is enjoying a, uh, well, it looks kind of sunny out today, and I think it's, was it Thursday? Yeah, it's a Thursday. Uh, Adam and I are getting thrown off every week. Poor guy, I keep changing his schedule on him for these podcasts, but uh, let's see, anything, any, any updates that we have for them? We had a pretty good ass cross anything last week, and you posted the the podcast. Yeah, um, you know, we had some good feedback for the uh, the deadlifts, uh, so it was good to to have the feedback from those of you who who reached out. And we mentioned that we were going to go through different movement patterns, talk about the benefits of them, um, really what it takes to have good movement compared to uh, altered movement, and then modifications that we can take. So we're going to move into the the squat today. Um, so we'll probably beat a dead horse and we'll probably end up repeating a lot of things that we have, but at least people will have uh, this one podcast that they can listen to. And then we actually had a question from a listener who asked about basically steps that they can take for working out in extreme conditions. And in this case, it was the heat, so we'll leave some time at the end uh, to talk about ways that you can prepare yourself for that, being that we're, we're leading into the summer months where it gets nice, hot, and humid around here. Yeah. Um before we get, so as we get into the squats, we've talked about, we end up talking about this a lot, especially when, you know, the ones we talked about knee pain and, and training the knees and all that sort of different stuff. So, Ross, can you just, at kind of setting the table, give me a quick, so remember I had you do that, or I asked you to do that thing that we video talking about why it's so important to load the tissue, specifically around the knee. Can you just really quickly... I mean, quickly, you know, that's not, a, that's not a soup. It's, <laughs> that's not something that it's I a do. Much, well, no, no, no. I mean, because just, it's not I'll, a. I'll give a quick, quick uh, answer for that. Yeah, yeah. Like quick re- review of like why, what happens structurally when you load that, even though you may have arthritis or you may have, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And, and even before that, we'll just back up. So when, when we're talking about the knee joint, we're talking about either thigh bone on shin bone, which is called the tibiofemoral joint. And then there's the patellofemoral joint, which is the kneecap on, on the thigh bone. And that's what everyone thinks it is, that it's kneecap on thigh bone. But there's two separate joints that are involved in that. And the joint is primarily um, flexion and extension, so it hinges with minor rotation that occurs for locking out the knee. Um, and then we have tendons and ligaments, and uh, we have fascia around it, and connective tissue, retinaculum. Now, we have to remember that tissue responds to the stress that's placed upon it, whether we're talking about bone, ligament, muscle, there's um, Wolf's Law, there's Hook's Law, there's Sherrington's Law, and it all states the body will respond to an appropriate stress. Even if it's a negative stress, the body will, will respond to it. You know, So activity versus not enough activity. Tendons need to be loaded. If we don't load them, they degrade, they weaken, they lose their tensile stiffness, they can't dissipate force. Muscles, if we don't load them, become smaller and weaker and they atrophy. The only benefit to not loading tissue is if you fall down, whack your knee off the ground and you have active swelling. That's pretty much the only time that we shouldn't do it. Now, in the case of arthritis, Usually there's going to be some form of decreased joint space. And again, with arthritis, there's four levels to it. Most people are in kind of level one, level two, which is just a decreased joint space, minor thinning of the cartilage. So you get an x-ray and that's how they figure it out. And then they say, well, don't squat. Well, is this amount of wear and tear, is it just normal wear and tear? 
you know, so we have to be mindful of that. Now the problem is, or, or I wouldn't even call it a problem, cartilage itself does not have nerves in it. It's aneural, so it can't cause pain. But everyone assumes, oh, I have pain with squatting, let me not squat. Well, Adam, in, in your professional opinion and in your experience, not squatting makes people good at what? Not squatting. There you go. Yeah. So now if I haven't squatted for a long time or if I've compensated and then I go to squat again, and let's say it's been a year or two, what do, what do we think is going to happen to my knees the first time I go to do that? Oh, it's going to suck. It's going to suck. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. Now the only problem is the person then says, see, this is why I haven't done it. My knees hurt. God damn it. I should have never done squats in the first place. Squats are the devil. And that's how we've fallen into this trap over and over again. Whereas it's, all right, let me try squatting again. Let me do one. How'd it feel? Oh, it didn't feel good. Well, let's modify it. So let's decrease the distance. Let's put a seat behind you. All right, you've done it the first time. How's it feel? It doesn't feel as bad. Great. Let's see how you do next time. Oh, I can do it fine now. Great. Let's take the seat away from you. Let's go a little bit deeper. Oh, it's a little bit more sore, but it's not lingering. Okay, great. Let's keep practicing. And the body will adapt because we've placed a very, very uh, appropriate load to it. Whereas the person that, oh, I haven't squatted before, I'm gonna get under a bar with 315 pounds. Well, you have to worry about your spine, your low back, your knees, your hips, your ankles. You're, you're basically gonna fold up like an accordion. Mm -hmm. um, so for this, it's, it's very appropriate for people to do some type of squatting. It doesn't have to be barbell squatting. It can just be bodyweight squatting, you know, sitting down into a resting position. It can be something as simple as, Every time you pick up something off the ground, you're going to practice a squat. You know, I think I told you before when, when my son was born, he started squatting. Mm -hmm. I started to practice squatting every time he did. And it was amazing how bad I sucked at it to get <laughs> that low and to stay down there that long. But then the more I did it, what do you know? My knees don't hurt as bad. They don't feel stiff. They weren't making as much noise. I could actually hang out at the bottom position, not as cleanly as him, but I could hang out in that bottom position and now I can squat deep and it doesn't bother my knees and my knees bend like 140 degrees. So, you know, I never really had knee issues to begin with, but it can be done even with someone that has arthritic knees. So loading is appropriate. Too much loading is not appropriate. Not enough loading is inappropriate. So again, everyone's got to find kind of that sweet spot for them. Not to mention the other benefits that come, increased strength, increased function, you know, you're able to exercise more, which decreases cardiovascular risk, diabetes, pulmonary issues, things along those lines. You know, people may even get back to running. Who knows? And I think it's important too to remember, and I feel like we we've been we've been bringing this up more and more that the forces and the uh, situations that actually result in a traumatic injury are very difficult to replicate in a situation where you're doing things appropriately. So like if you go into the gym, you have sore knees, or you're, you know you're somebody that knows that you have knee issues, again, assuming nothing traumatic, you haven't, you know, torn your ACL within the last five weeks or something, something ridiculous like that, or fallen on it like you gave the example before, you loading, you know, you doing a goblet squat isn't liable to create any sort of traumatic problem. If you overdo it, you're liable to wake up sore the next day and maybe be sore for a couple days, but your chances of doing something irreparable are extremely Minimal. low. Minimal. Right. You know, if you have good coaching, if you have good body awareness, if you scale appropriately, yeah. 
the likelihood of a traumatic event or something significant happening is, is very, very low. Now, if, if someone decides, okay, you know, today I'm going to go for a, a back squat, I'm going to try to go for a 75-pound PR. You know, we're talking a significant amount of weight. You know, you unrack that bar and all of a sudden you see the, the legs wiggling back and forth mm-hmm. between hyperextension and not. It's like, oh boy, that's that knee is going to get fucked up, you know. Yeah. But more likely, even if you think about a squat. So let's say someone does a heavy squat, goes down, feels pain. Where do they typically feel pain? Think about the times you've done heavy squats. I was going to say, it's usually like in the it's usually in the front of the knee or that kind of... Oh, you just mean like heavy just, squats just in, in general. general? Yeah, what body part tends to bother you more? For me, it's my back. Exactly. Personally. That's yeah. what bothers me. It's usually never my knees. My yeah. legs feel fine. Now, I put a heavy load on. I start to descend. Once I hit the bottom in the hole and come out of it, that's usually when I feel it. Yeah. You know? But I've never... I won't say never, but... I've felt knee pain during squatting before, but knee squatting has never caused my knee pain. Yeah, I was going to say, sometimes... It was it was sore ahead of time. Right. Now, that's lunges... Right. Lunges will cause knee pain, especially yeah. if my problematic knee or affected leg, whichever one, yeah. is my trailing leg. Right. But that's because of the position of stress that's placed upon it. You know, the kneecap is getting pulled back into the trochlear groove or the, the socket, and there's just not enough room to breathe in there. Right. And that's, that's very common that we'll see that. So now, is there ever an instance where you tell people to not squat? Only if somebody has something traumatic going on. To be honest with you, the only other times it happens is when I'm just like, when somebody's, you know, their knees hurt and I, you know, to be completely frank, have, you know, explained it 15 different times and that kind of thing. Like, yeah, yeah, that's a situation where I'm like, okay, fine, don't squat. Or or like the rare occasion, there have been a few clients who, you know, your hypermobile client that can't control their range. And I wouldn't say that I tell them not to squat. That's, I guess, how often do I tell people not to squat? Unless they've had something traumatic, it's super rare. Yeah. Like, to completely change it, like, nope, okay, don't squat, go do an, an RDL. Yeah. Like, something that's extremely yeah. small knee bend. But And I, and I would say, I, and knowing you for as long as I have now and your philosophy, you've probably tried different variations of a squat oh, before yeah. you quickly abandon it yeah and that's what i'll typically tell people but for me it's all about severity and irritability Mm -hmm. Um, so for me if someone says when i squat my pain comes on first repetition it's an eight out of ten and it lasts for a couple hours and it's like all right let's take some time off from squatting but even then can we do a sit to stand can we do a trx squat you know can i even put you into a child's pose position which is an unloaded squat you know can can we widen your stance? But again, I've gone through every variation right. I can think of because there's never a bad time to squat. You know, it's how we get in and out of a chair. It's how we we should be picking stuff up off the ground. Although if someone bends over and just picks up something from their spine, we should be able to do that as well. We should be resilient. Um, it's how we get on and off the toilet. It's just it's such a, a functional activity to have your hip flexed, knee flexed. You know, let your leg muscles do the work for you. Have your core control everything in your spine that I would be doing someone a disservice if I said, don't squat. Yeah. I better have a damn good reason for it. It's like, don't squat for three days because of this pain, and then we're gonna get you back into it. So even if I say, don't squat, which again, is extremely rare, 
it's with the goal of allowing tissue irritability to calm down. Maybe there's some active inflammation and I give them some, something else to do, but you know, within like 72 hours, I'm gonna retest it. How's that feel? Oh, it's better, okay. Let's sprinkle this in or let's take another two days. How's it feel? It feels fine. It's just stiffness right now. Okay, so it's not the pain that you were having. No, all right, you know, try 10 of them. Okay, try 20 of them. Try 30 of them. How's that feel? No pain. Okay, let's let's get you away from the seat. Now try a bodyweight squat. Now remember, there's nothing behind you. Go slow and controlled. Oh, that felt fine. Okay, now try 10 of them. Now try 20. Now try 30. And you just take them through that process of progressive overload. So I can't, I can't think of a time. I mean, maybe in the case where someone potentially has torn something and yeah. they haven't gotten imaging and they say my knee just feels very unstable like if I do something it's going to buckle it's like all right that's a contraindication to movement because we don't know what's going on um, but it's 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 rare I see those people um, usually if someone's like if someone gives me a mechanism of injury that I'm suspecting a significant problem structural problem uh, I'm going to refer them out for imaging anyways and then once we get it it a confirmation that yes something's torn or no nothing's torn then you make that decision but it's 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 extremely rare that i say don't don't squat yeah the only times that i've said anything recently and i, I this is kind of like outside the realm of the answer i guess or the question but everything's fair game here. yeah i guess i i just i don't know how to quite classify cuz it's kind of in the middle but um you know if somebody's having knee pain we do a couple rounds of squats or a couple rounds of wall sits, and they're just like, okay, that's it. Like, cut it. But I guess that still kind of fits into what you were saying. Severity like and we, irritability. Right. So, like, it, it starts off okay, but it gets progressively a little bit more sore. I mean, this... The, Progress, the, yeah, so progressively worse. Like, to me, that's a sign that we either need to modify or just, you know, just yeah. for a day or two, let's abandon it. Yeah. You yes. Know, with with yes. the goal of coming back. I didn't mean to cut you off. But no, that's fine. That's yeah, because I, I didn't. I didn't mention that. If it's progressively getting worse with each repetition, that's let's shut it down. Yeah, it's not worth it. You know, if someone says, "Oh, first time I do it, it's a five, and then by you know the middle third, you know, it actually feels better. It's like a it's like a two. I'm like, all right, keep going. Yeah, see, see what happens. You know, and if someone has like a tendinopathy or a quad tendonitis, patellar tendonitis, yeah, not acute. Right, um, right, you know, probably subacute or a recurring, lingering issue. Um, typically, I find it's when they start activity. Oh, my knees don't feel that great, but once I get going, I feel fine. You know, and that that's a hallmark sign of, of of the tendon. Everything needs to be loosened up. You need to reload it all over again. You need to teach it to refunction. But that concept is no different for tennis elbow, golfer's elbow, shoulder tendonitis. A quad tendinopathy, patellar tendonitis, runner's knee, jumper's knee, Achilles tendonitis, plantar fasciitis. Again, it, it outside of that acute traumatic event, you know, all of these are very, very. Uh, and again, I don't like using the word fix or cure. Right. So even though when I say these are fixable, you know, they're reversible or these are treatable. Improvable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We, we can get you back to, one, functional, mm -hmm. and then as long as we stay consistent, can get you back to normal. Now, functional means you're doing everything. You may still have some discomfort. Normal is you're doing everything pre-injury or pre-pain status. So, and hopefully, you know, if there's no injury that had occurred, we are able to identify 
potential correlations to impairments or lack of range of motion or cheating compensation patterns that then played into the the pain syndrome. So, you know, we're always, you know, we're, we're professional people watchers. Right. You know, we, we, we have to pay attention to these things. No matter how little the, the compensation may be, it's just an accumulation of stress over time. You know, it's bound to break. Right. And I think the, the other really important thing is that if you're doing squats and that kind of thing is to do, if you're doing them, I often see people do this in reverse. They decide they're going to go, and we've talked about this a little bit in this way in the past, they decide that they're going to go hiking for the first time this year and their knees are sore afterwards, so then they come into the gym and I'm not going to squat today. It, it really needs to be, I mean, maybe that's not the perfect example, but I, like somebody who already has knee issues might be a better way to put it. Yeah. And they haven't been squatting because of their knee issues, and then they go hiking, and their knees hurt after that, and then they say, oh, I'm, well, I'm not going to squat today because my knees hurt from hiking. Well, that's why it was important that you were squatting before you went. Um, and it's just, th- I feel like that often, I see that probably more than anything else. Like, oh, I skied this weekend, my knees are really sore, I'm not going to squat. Oh, my knees hurt every time I squat. Well, your knees hurt every time you ski, and I know that if you're, if you're not squatting here, then... That's probably a big portion of why your knees hurt when you're, you know, skiing or whatever, hiking or... Oh, and, and skiing is a perfect example because that's basically a, a pseudo-squat position. Yeah. You're still in, like, that athletic-ready position, which is really just a squat and a hip hinge combined. You know, so, again, will the squat... The squatting pattern will definitely pay dividends more with skiing than with hiking. Well, yeah. Because yeah. now hiking is a, a single, um, single limb asymmetrical stance pattern over and over again. Um, but squatting would have built up the tissue resiliency right. to help them, and then they probably would have had decreased soreness. It probably still would have been there, yeah. but oh, it yeah. would have been decreased performance. You know, With those people that, that come in and say, yeah, I went hiking, I'm, I'm really sore, I tell them, listen, warm up for five minutes. If you feel better after five minutes, keep going. Don't worry about it. And then if they don't warm up, it's like, listen, you can still do the activity, but I'm going to promise you today is not going to be your best day. So I usually give that five-minute warm-up rule. Just warm up for five minutes. If you feel better, don't worry about it. And sometimes it's just getting that increased blood flow and fluid into the area. Sometimes that's going to flush out whatever toxins are there from the, and I call them toxins, whatever byproducts are there from the activity that you did. It's just, you know, it's, it's no secret you know, we get stiff and sore after activity, whether we're good at it or it's our first time doing it. It's just the way that it is. Um, so then it's listening to our body. You know, how is it responding to, to other activity? You know, if, if someone said, I worked out six days really, really hard, and then I hiked on the seventh, it's like, all right, maybe probably should take off squatting. However, take off everything. You know, just have an off day, you know, or maybe you just get on the bike today and and do something nice and light. Go for a walk. You know, that alone is probably going to be more beneficial than than anything else. Just let the body relax for once. But, you know, for most of us where we don't work out six days and hike on the seventh, you know, we have to pay attention to what the soreness tells us. And then is it getting better, worse, no change? You know, how do you feel beforehand, during, after, and then the next morning? So... I typically just find that that people tend to feel better when they move. Yeah. You know, even if, even if you have to be modified, movement's always going to be key for us. But that leads us back to to squatting. If my knees are bothering me, 
we modify the squat. Let's start moving it in that natural pattern that we should be moving. And then I typically find it may not be great the first time, but it's definitely better the second time. And then it's even better the third time. And then next thing you know, it's like, oh my God, I'm actually squatting again. So um, if, you had to, if you had to pick one reason, and I don't know if I'm gonna be wording this the right way to kinda, to get the answer that I'm, I'm hoping you will give, but if there's one thing holding people back from squatting, what do you think that one factor is? I would say fear, the fear okay. of squatting. All right, so I worded that correctly because yeah. you answered. It, it's someone's own apprehension towards squatting. Yes. You know, and, and I'm glad that came out the way I was hoping because I figured I was going to butcher that. But fear and apprehension. Mm-hmm. We all can squat. We all did it from anyone who has kids, anyone who's watched kids. They squat without being told. They squat perfectly. Give them a weight, they'll squat perfectly. Ask them to pick up something off the ground, they squat perfectly. You'll typically see it until about, I'll say 10, and that, that's, that's a loose number. And they've just had less free play at that point, more sitting, and then there's more sitting when it comes to high school, and then a lot of high schoolers don't squat the right way, and then you go off to college, you don't think about squatting, then you get your first full-time job, which is sitting, which is not squatting. So really, you're just good at rounding forward, knees can bend to 90, and that's about it. And then if people don't practice it, Use it or lose it. Literally, use it or lose it. Um, you know, we, we, in theory, should move the same way that, that toddlers move. Our, our physiology is the same. Our bone structure, you know, although stiffer, is still the same. Our movement circuitry in our brain, assuming we have a ner- uh, normal nervous system, mm-hmm. is the same. But what changes? Well, the older we get, the more stress is beaten down on us, the life stress, and then everything changes. You know, can we recapture that? Yes, we can. Again, assuming we put the time and effort and have the patience with it, we still have the normal circuitry to be able to do so. We just have to kind of rewire things to get back to a, our new normal. Yeah. So, yeah, if you don't mind, I'm going to switch us over to the... You feel good to... Yeah, I feel fine with that. Yeah. I think we, we got our, our point across as far as the... Uh, Squats are concerned, why we should be doing them, things to watch out for. Um, don't let pain be the driving factor. So uh, we talked about some modifications. So I think that's that's a good place to to kind of cut it because uh, I do want to leave some time for, for the question that was asked by the, by the listener. All right, so, and if anyone has any questions about squatting or anything that we were talking about, always feel free to reach out to us. Um, because we're always willing to, to talk about this more. Uh, we just really thought that this uh, next question was, was good for us. So um, we, we had someone reach out and basically talked about working out in extreme heat. You know, what are some tips that can be taken to basically avoid heat exhaustion, heat stroke? Uh, they didn't use that terminology, but really that's what we're watching out for. You know, how can we uh, perform optimally when we are in those conditions? Now, Whenever it's a hot day or humid day, and it doesn't even have to be that hot, just something more than what we're accustomed to, we always have to remember, and the given rule is, always dress like it's going to be 20 degrees more. So even on colder days, dress like it's 20 degrees warmer. So we want to make sure we dress appropriately and we set up for those days. 
Now, when we're talking about heat exhaustion versus heat stroke, uh, those are kind of the two worst things that we can get when we're talking about working out in extreme temperatures, and that can be outdoors or that can be that can be indoors. Now, typically with heat exhaustion, you know, someone usually reports dizziness and fainting, usually an increased thirst. They have excessive sweating. They'll notice that they have a rapid pulse, and if you were actually to check it, it's probably going to be a little bit weak. There's probably going to be some uh, nausea associated with that. Uh, and then muscle cramps and fatigue. And I think for any of us who are, who are athletes, we probably experienced that at one time. Now, not everyone experiences it the same way and may not have all those. Now, versus a heat stroke, you know, now you've gone beyond exhaustion, now you're into the headaches, the confusion, the elevated body temperature, um, you can't sweat, yeah. um, the rapid strong pulse, again, you may have nausea, but this time with vomiting, red hot skin and you may actually fall in and out of consciousness so you know what we're trying to do is set the tone of these are the worst things that can happen I, I I've only seen heat stroke once and this was when I was an athlete growing up and playing we were at summer camp um, it wasn't the the summer camps fault it was the, the, the it started with dehydration and then it went on from there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've never seen anything, but this all goes back to uh, the football player that played for the Vikings, Corey Stringer. You know, they weren't giving water breaks and he essentially died. And he was like 6'5", 300 and something pounds. It's a large individual, heated up very quickly. Uh, they were out in the sun. Um, so now it's a rule that they have to have a water break every 15 minutes. But I've seen more heat exhaustion. And I've... I've Based off of the the symptoms that I reported, I definitely have have had that. Mm -hmm. Yep. Now, because we've done this, we've worked out for a long time, and you know, like it's no secret when you come here to work out on a humid day, it's hot in here. Yeah. It's very very warm. Now, let's say you don't have the availability to open the doors. What are some steps that you take to combat the heat? Uh, so, well, first thing is just to pace yourself. Listen to your body. If your body is telling you to slow down, I mean, you know, a lot of this stuff is self-limiting. Usually if your body is, needs you to slow down, you'll slow down. Yeah. Um, you know, try and find some place that's cool where you can, you know, go in and at least you have the option. Mm -hmm. um, it, a lot of it, though, comes to being proactive. I think, and I, I'm sorry, I'll take. I won't take it that direction yet because that's taking it out of the frame of the question. But no, no, no. Proactive is is. Let's let's start there. Okay, I yeah. Kinda, I was kind of hoping that you would say, you know, when I know it's going to be hot, this is what I do ahead of time. Yep, yep. So that's go ahead exactly. And jump, jump right into it. So the the most important thing is to make sure you're hydrated. And a lot of people think that being hydrated means that you bring water with you. Yeah. The truth is, and I don't remember, you can tell, I mean, this is a while ago now, uh, it's, you know, back when I was in college, remembering that you, the estimate that I remember is that you lose about four times as much water during exercise than you can consume mm -hmm. during a set. So if you bring a gallon of water, you will probably lose, you know, if you can drink a gallon of water, you probably lost four gallons during that yep. exercise session. Obviously, you know in a normal circumstance, whatever. So just bringing water and hydrating 15 minutes before is not enough. You've got to be hydrating either, you know, for hours prior that day or ideally if you know an event is coming for days before. Correct. Um, the other one that I learned a few, like last year that I never really, it makes total sense, but I never really thought about is if you're somebody that's doing something that's 
going to be a long amount of time is that having carbohydrates can help with that too because mm-hmm. it helps bind water um, into your muscle glycogen and yep. into the muscle stores. So having something that, you know, again, we've talked about carbo loading. I'm not talking about eating 15 boxes of pasta the night before <laughs> you're going to do something. But having that consistent glycogen store during a hot few days can be helpful in retaining water that can be used yeah and and i would just say with that just make sure you know and this takes a little bit more planning but you'd want to look ahead at the weather for your training schedule and start that ahead of time you don't just want to load up because unfortunately that can cause bloating and and that can have a decrease in performance so again it's never oh i have a race tomorrow let me let me try to increase my glycogen stores no as adam was saying with the water you know with the carbohydrates, you want to slowly start to add them into your body, probably a week in advance, just so your body can get used to them. Now, what I'm, I'm piss poor when it comes to workout attire. You've seen what I wear: ripped t-shirts, cotton yeah. based. You know, I just basically my old t-shirts become my workout shirts. Right. Um, what are your thoughts on a lot of this workout attire? That's heat gear or weather, whatever. You know, I, I just. I say Under Armour, I'm most familiar with their stuff, and, mm-hmm. and they had the cold gear and heat gear before people even started worrying about it. Um, you know, cold gear you wear in the cold weather, it keeps you warmer. Heat gear you wear in the, the warm weather, so it keeps you cooler. What are your thoughts on that stuff? I think it's it's like a electrolyte drink. It's a 1% helpful kind of thing. Yeah. It definitely will help you. But if you haven't hydrated and you haven't eaten and you're in a hot box, it is not going to be the savior. Will it? Don't get me wrong. Is it helpful? Yes. Anything that's going to wick heat and moisture away and allow it to – because essentially, I mean, what sweating is, is your body creating – or creating – is your body releasing water that can then evaporate and take heat with it. Mm-hmm. So if you're wearing something that's stifling that process, then you're not going to be able to evaporate heat as quickly. So something like that is going to be helpful, but it's only going to be helpful if the 15 other things on the list are checked off prior. Correct. Otherwise, that stuff is just going to be – they're just going to be cutting it off you when they're you know, trying to get fluid lines into you or yes, something. You absolutely. know what I mean? Yeah, and I mean, I, most of my shirts are cotton-based, and you know, for a while the adage was cotton kills, and that was more towards when you're dealing with with athletes, especially working in the outdoors, um, just because it's not effective at you know wicking the moisture away from your body, mm-hmm. especially if you wear it in the winter time too. It, it stays wet; it doesn't dry. Right. So then you run the risk of hypothermia at that time as well. Um, Again, I'm, I'm poor at it. I always wear cotton shirts, but whatever. Um, I'm frugal and don't want to buy the other ones because it doesn't increase my performance. Right. So I don't, I don't care. Now, you brought up an interesting thing about electrolytes. Um, tell me what electrolytes are, if you don't mind, and then who should probably be taking them? So electrolytes are basically the, the minerals that are involved in muscle contraction and relaxation. So in order for your muscle to contract and then relax, you need sodium, potassium, calcium. I'm not sure if these are all considered electrolytes or not, but sodium, potassium, calcium, magnesium. Did I miss any? I think there's another those one are that the they big partially ones, contribute. But, but those are the big those ones. Those are the that, big ones. Yeah, and they're all, they're all part of the sodium-potassium pump for a muscle contraction. For the longest time, people used to say, oh, well, when you have... Um, 
muscle cramps, it's because you don't have enough potassium and so, so on and so forth. But when you're sweating a lot, you're releasing sodium. Yep. Your body is just kicking that out of your body. That's why if you have a dog or anything like that, dog comes over and licks your face after a workout. <laughs> it's licking all the sodium off your skin. So do I think it's just the potassium that we need to load up on? No, there's certainly a time and a place. So I'll usually tell people, and I took this from endurance runners, they'll have salt tablets and they'll actually have the salt tablets while they're, they're running, biking, whatever it may be. And I'm like, what the hell are they doing that for? And it makes sense because now they're replacing their sodium, but also sodium helps you retain water, which also may help you prevent dehydration. So it's just a different way of thinking about it. So I usually recommend at the very least, you know, people will take some type of sodium. Magnesium, I think is very important to take. Um, I take potassium, but that's just based off of research saying that we usually are deficient in potassium anyways. I don't always drink that beforehand, but I will take it after. Um, so really it's just a matter of whatever works for your body. I take magnesium all the time. Um, that's just because I feel like we don't get enough from our soil rich foods. Um, I do take it before my workouts and especially when I'm dealing with working out either outside where it's super humid, I really focus on magnesium and then I focus on sodium. Those are the two big ones for me. Um, but that doesn't mean it works for everyone. You know, some people may not feel like salt's the best thing for them. So it's then finding something that works for, for you. Um, if people are drinking, even a lot of energy drinks now, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people are like, oh, energy drinks, this and that, yada, yada, yada. You know, it's not like the old days with like the Red Bulls where it was chemical this and chemical that. Nowadays, basically, your energy drinks are just ramped up vitamins and minerals yeah. at, at high doses. And then some of them will put caffeine to it, like 160 milligrams, sometimes 200 for an extra kick. Um, so I'm not even opposed to that as long as they're also drinking something else in the meantime. You know, but it has sodium in it, has your B vitamins, it has magnesium in it. Maybe not in the quantities that I would want to see, right. um, but it's still better than nothing. You know, when people talk about Gatorade, then it's, you know, do I get the sugar versus the zero sugar? I think that's personal preference. I personally don't want that. Yeah. Um, just because I've, I've gotten away from sugar so much that I just don't like the taste of it anymore. But in theory, you know, you're, you're, you need to restore glycogen. So that's yeah. where the sugar comes in. And they also have the electrolytes in them, you know, and that's where, where Gatorade really got their name from was that it was a sugary drink with electrolytes. Well, and now, and now those, you know, they, I don't know what the fi what finally like kicked off the, like the need for it because it feels like it's only been the last two or three years even though you know Gatorade has been around for what 30 40 years now but now like Pedialyte has come out with like an electrolyte drink that's very low in sugar but is higher in some of those other um some of those yeah. electrolytes and like Pedialyte has one I think Gatorade released an elect it's like electrolyte or something like yeah. that um there's a few different ones out there now that are lower sugar, but more sure. along those lines as well. So I wonder if Pedialyte cashed in on, on everyone drinking it, especially after they were drunk. Maybe. Yeah, actually, you could be right. If you think about it, you know, most of the time people this, would be like, oh, I'm going to get drunk. I have to go get Pedialyte. Yep. It's like... They just leaned huh. into it. <laughs> Interesting. So Peter's like, hey, you know what? We're not going to argue. We're just going to gear it towards you, idiots. Yep. That, that um, very well could be the case, yeah, yeah, actually. Yeah, I, I was... An idiot at one time. I, I I'd be lying if I said I never tried that. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, I would be too. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, 
really it's just a matter of and and Adam mentioned you you have to be proactive with this stuff you know and you have to know how your body responds now like anything else our body will adapt so if you're constantly working out in the heat your body will adapt to it you will get better at heat um, dispersion um, and then you don't have to worry as much about it but if you're used to working out in 50 degree temps and then all of a sudden you're going into something that's 80 degrees or above your body's going to take a hit so you have to scale everything appropriately know that you're not going to be able to push to 110 percent that you like to um, but it all for me it starts with hydration you know the hydration leading up to it during afterwards the fueling of your body to make sure that your body's using the uh, water efficiently um, so that also goes in with your your pre-workout meals your peri-workout nutrition your post-workout meals whatever it may be so you know the the one the one big thing that I, I can't stress enough is just make sure that you're staying hydrated that's with or without electrolytes um, that's going to be a personal preference um, and then if I had to choose a secondary thing it's probably paying attention to or being being honest with yourself about performance levels and then after that, if someone continues and they say, give me something else, I would then say, look into a wicking shirt to kind of pull the heat and the moisture away from you. So um, any any one of those that you would disagree with or no. any, any other one that you would add in to kind of the, the top tier of what they can take away today? No, not at all. The only thing I was going to add in there is so, and make sure that if you bring water, make sure you try and drink even if you don't necessarily feel thirsty. Because sometimes your thirst response can get all kinds of fucked up, especially when we're in those hotter environments. Yep. If you're if you're bordering on heat exhaustion, that kind of thing, like in that area, sometimes your thirst response isn't quite what it should be. Yeah. So like you know, you gave the example of the NFL and the the water breaks and stuff. If you you know if you're sweating a ton and you realize you haven't drank, even if you don't feel thirsty, go over to your water bottle, see if you, because sometimes you don't realize you're thirsty, you go over and you start to take a swig, and before you know it, you've emptied half the bottle. Sure. So keep that in mind, too, that just because you don't necessarily feel thirsty doesn't necessarily mean that your body doesn't need it. Yeah, and especially with the high rate that the body's trying to get rid of water, that the high rate is trying to get rid of heat, you know, again, it's going to be a lot different compared to a cold day where... Your body's not releasing that, and you you really don't need that much because you're not pushing yourself to the same ability or, or against the same stressor. Right. Um, you know, dur during the colder weather, we typically you know our body's going to warm up so that we can perform better. Whereas this case, we're trying to control how much it actually warms up. So, uh, any other key points that that you want to make about training in the heat? No, I think we hit the we hit the major ones because if you have that stuff in line, usually the the other stuff is just you know icing on the cake. Those Correct. are the big ones. So I, I would agree with that. All right, all right. So you guys know the drill. If you have any questions, certainly feel free to reach out to myself or Adam. Uh, his email's at the bottom. So even if you have a question for me, uh, he'll get it over. There'll also be the link to my uh, Ask Ross Anything. So I'll actually be pushing it off for about three weeks because I'll actually be heading down to Tufts University to help teach in their PT program. So I'll miss the next one. So hopefully I'll set up some reminders so we'll have good conversation when we come back. I think that'll be around the 9th or 11th, 13th, somewhere around there. But I'll put it up there. And then we'll also have my link to my Willabate page, which I mentioned last time. It will eventually switch over to a company called Fullscript. They just they merge. So nothing really changes other than the name. 
And if we have any updates, we'll certainly let you guys know. But in the meantime, take care. We'll talk to you soon. Later, guys. Bye.